today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. When you know who's coming, it makes whatever is coming easier to get through because of who's coming. We know what's coming, and in the world that we're living today, and we talk about it every week, it's getting uh, rather intense. Would you agree? What's coming? But when you understand who's coming, it settles your heart. How are you left feeling after scrolling your daily news feed, reading the latest phone alerts, or watching TV headlines? If that's all you had to base your life on, it would be pretty hopeless. Today, Pastor J.D. reminds us that knowing who is in control makes all the difference regarding the worries of today. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah chapter 9 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Isaiah chapter 9. How many of you read ahead to stay ahead? Do you know what is in this chapter? Oh my goodness. It is amongst the most familiar in all of Scripture Uh, It's been estimated that there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament prophesying the first coming of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ fulfilled every single one of those prophecies. The statistical probabilities, the odds mathematically, of one person fulfilling even eight of over 300 of these prophecies is astronomical, and that is not hyperbole. Actually, somebody figured it out. His name is Peter Stoner, and he wrote a book, and he actually calculated what are the odds of one man, forget over 300 prophecies, let's just take eight of them. And so he came up with the number, statistically, mathematically, and If you're anything like me, and I suspect that many of you are, when you see numbers like that, it makes your hair hurt. Not your head, your hair, whatever's left on the top of your head. So he had this number, and it's something like, you know, one bajillion to the bajillionth power. And he actually wrote it out, and all I can say is that with a size 12 font, I could not fit it on one slide, because there's a lot of zeros in that number. And that's just eight of the prophecies. And we have one of them, actually we have a couple of them, uh, woven into the fabric of this chapter tonight. Not only was Isaiah warning Judah of what's coming very soon, speaking specifically of the uh, Assyrian army that would come and invade and really uh, destroy the northern tribes chiefly, but they would also come uh, to Judah. God, of course, would intervene miraculously. But this is Isaiah prophesying about what's coming, but more importantly, about who's coming. And there's a connection here that I hope we're able to make by the help of the Holy Spirit, and it's this, that 
when you know who's coming, it makes whatever is coming easier to get through because of who's coming. We know what's coming. And in the world that we're living today, and we talk about it every week, it's getting uh, rather intense. Would you agree? What's coming? But when you understand who's coming, it settles your heart. It settles you. And that's really what Isaiah is doing here in this chapter, in this prophecy, in this warning to Judah. It's a prophecy of the coming Savior of the world to a world that was then, even as it is now, in darkness and hopeless doom and gloom. Enter verse 1 with this first word, and I like this word, in this context. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. You see where he's going? (laughs) The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You know who this is speaking of and who this is a prophecy of. It is a prophecy about the light of the world, Jesus the Christ, right out of the chute. We have a prophecy of the coming Savior, so much so that the Gospel of Matthew records the fulfillment of this prophecy that we just read in these first two verses. It's found in Matthew 4 beginning in verse 13. And leaving Nazareth, he, speaking of Jesus, came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, Beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light was dawned. Now you have to understand that Isaiah is sort of uh, dovetailing off of what he just got done prophesying to them and warning them about in the previous chapter, in chapter 8, about what was coming. And what he's doing here by the Holy Spirit is he is giving them hope. Yes, this is what's coming, but there's a future hope. And we're going to see that here in a very interesting way towards the end of the chapter. Verse 3, you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. 
for you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Median. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. Now I am keenly aware at first read your response to a passage like this is, huh? Well, let's work our way through it. Uh, Notice here he says in verse 4, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Medean. This is a reference to Gideon in Judges chapter 7 and his victory over the Medeanites. And it speaks to our victory in Christ, the coming Savior, which this prophecy is about. It all points to the person of Jesus Christ and the finished work on the cross of Jesus Christ, the Savior who would come, as we're about to see here, from the line of David, according to the promise that God made to David, King David, that he would not build a temple, but that God would build him a house from his lineage, would come the Savior of the world. Now, interesting, why is it that in this prophecy concerning the coming of the Savior, would Isaiah be prompted and led and inspired by the Holy Spirit to reference, of all of the accounts in Scripture, the account of Gideon and his victory over the Midianites? I have a thought, and that thought is this. When you really know what and how that went down, it just changes the whole complexion of just how much of a miracle it was when God delivered the Midianites into the hands of the Israelites. I mean, to say that the it was against all odds would be a gross understatement. Even to say that it was impossible would also as well be an understatement, and I'll explain why. You know the account of Gideon, right? He's hiding out in fear because the Medeanites would always wait until harvest time when they were threshing the grain and then doing all the work, and then they would come and steal all of that year's grain. That was a year's worth of income from the Israelites. They were greatly oppressing the Israelites. And so where do we find Gideon when God calls him? We find him at a wine press of all places, hiding out, threshing the grain, in total fear of the Medeanites. And that's when God comes. And when God calls him, you know, he says, Oh, mighty warrior. Here's Gideon, right? Where? I mean, I'm, I would like to have a mighty warrior right about now. No, Gideon, I'm talking to you. Me? Yeah. I'm calling you. Oh God, no, no. You pulled the wrong file on this one. I'm not your guy. No, that you are my guy. I'm going to use you to deliver the Medeanites into the hands of the Israelites. And what is, what is Gideon's response? He tries everything and stops at nothing to get out of it. He says to God, uh, God, 
the reason why I'm not your guy is because I'm the black sheep of my family. Strike one. My family is the black sheep of our tribe. Strike two. Our tribe is the black sheep of all of the tribes of Israel. Strike three. I'm out. Nice try. No, you're not. That's exactly why, by the way, Gideon, I'm going to use you. Because, um, by the way, I choose the foolish things, the Gideons of this world, to confound the wise. I choose the weak to shame the strong. And here's why I do that, by the way. I choose guys like you, Gideon, who are the black sheep of your family, and your family's the black sheep of the tribe, and the tribe's the black sheep of all 12 tribes of Israel. I choose guys like you because then I alone get the glory. Even if you wanted to try, <laughs> nice try, it ain't going to happen. Because look at you. There's no way. They're going to look and go, oh, of course. Did you see his resume? Did you see his credentials? He's got a lot of letters after his name. Nothing wrong with that. I don't mean to be disrespectful. You know, I've always wondered about those letters. That's why I decided to come up with a legal AKA. I always wanted letters. So I can't, I can't, I got two letters, JD. <laughs> and so it stands for Jesus' disciples. So I've got letters. <laughs> kind of rhymes with PhD a little bit, but anyway. So God's like, no, you're the guy, and that's why. Now, you think Gideon's going to be okay with that, and just, okay, God, you know, have thine own way, have thine own way, thou art the potter, I am the clay. No, no way. So now, he's going to go through these gyrations, right? And we know this as, well, the fleece. He's going to put out a fleece. Never think for a second that this was an act of faith. It was the polar opposite of faith. He's still trying to get out of it. So what does he do? He says, God, if I'm really, 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 really the guy, uh, let there be dew on the fleece, but not on the ground. And God's like, okay, whatever. Next day, dew on the fleece, not on the ground. Here's Gideon. Okay, thank you, Lord, so much. Uh, I don't want to anger you. I don't want to push the envelope, as it were. Would you just, just to confirm, to just be extra, 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 extra sure, would you this time have the dew be on the ground, but not on the fleece? Oh, God is so long-suffering, isn't He? Whatever. There's the next morning, the dew's on the fleece and not the ground. Did I, that was uh, other way around. Thank you very much. <laughs> and now here's Gideon again, and it gets actually worse from there. He reluctantly assembles the army of the Israelites, and he is able to identify a number of 32,000 men. We got a problem. The Medeanites, now it's interesting because, and for those of you that have been to Israel with us, we've gone to the springs, what, what is affectionately referred to as Gideon Springs there in Israel, believed to be the exact location of where this all took place. And when you're standing there, I mean, you see the springs and you're looking out at the vast landscape and you can just picture these numbers of Medeanites 
that were estimated to be 135,000. And here's Gideon with only 32,000 men. Well, now how's this going to work out? We don't have enough men. So so God says, Gideon, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to your 32,000 men, and I want you to tell them, if any of you are afraid, you can go home. What? Can, if I'm Gideon, here's what, here's how, what I'm, here's what I, how I'm going to do it and say it. If any girls are before, you can go home. <laughs> what? I didn't hear you. What? You, you don't want to go home, right? You're not afraid. You're not afraid, are you? Well, I don't know how he said it. I just know that he said it. And 22,000 men went home. Can you imagine his heart sinking? Now he's down to 10,000 men. And it's like, Lord, and, and the Lord's like, I'm Gideon, I, I know this is going to really mess you up, but you got to trust me here. You still have too many men. 10,000 is too many up against 135,000. Yeah, so what I want you to do is I want you to take these men and I want you to take them to the springs. And you're going to separate the men of the 10,000 that stick their face in the water and drink water. You're going to put them over here. And the ones that cup the water and bring it to their mouth, you're going to put them over here. Now, can you imagine, the last time we were there, I was just putting myself in Gideon's sandals as he's watching this play out because 9,700 men of the 10,000 stuck their face in the water. And I, in my heart, believe that Gideon knew in his heart, I know which one God's going to send home, because only 300 cupped the water and brought it to their mouths. I'm going somewhere with this. I know we're taking the scenic route again. Just stay with me. And sure enough, He says, I want you to take those 9,700 men that stuck their faces in the water, and I want you to send them home. And I want you to take the 300 that cupped the water and brought it to their mouths, and those are the ones that I'm going to use to deliver the Medianites into your hands. (laughs) Now you've probably heard this taught, and I'm not dismissing this, but I just don't think it fits the narrative. It kind of mars and ruins the whole thing that God's doing here. You've probably heard this taught as, these were the 300 Green Berets, man. These were the SEAL team. These were the top guns, man. You know, they're, they're keeping their eye on the battlefield and cupping the water to their hands. And, and the other 9,700 just stick their faces in there. You know, and those are the send them home. They're not battle worthy. They're not battle ready. I can see how they can get there. But here's the problem. If those 300 men that cupped the water and brought it to their mouth to drink are the top guns and the Green Berets and the SEAL team and the special unit, they could conceivably take the credit for the victory. Because after all, This is the best of the best. That doesn't fit. Here's the way I heard it taught many years ago, and I I cannot go back 
to any other interpretation of this account. The 300 men that cupped the water and brought it to their mouth to drink did so because they couldn't bend down and stick their face in there. These were the infirmed, potentially the elderly, the lame, the blind, the crippled. No. Right? Doesn't that fit? (laughs) Again, here's Gideon, right? He's like, oh, no. I see a pattern here. All these young bucks, they're sticking their face in the water. And here's these older guys. There's grandpa and uncle and, you know, they're, you know, getting up to the water and, well, better get some water now. And that's what I'm going to use because there's no way. That fits, right? Are we okay here? Are Are you laughing with me or at me? I just want to make sure. Both. Oh, great. That's fine. But see, here's why. Because when God delivers the Medeanites into the hands of the Israelites, there's no way those 300 men could take the credit for it. It was an, could you imagine, even if they tried, you know, walked in, you should have seen us, you know, when they <laughs> come back home, man, we were great. You, yeah, no, that, that, this was God. There's no way you guys could have done this. This had to be the Lord. And it was. And the way it went, I would encourage you to spend some time in Judges. Start in chapter 6, go through chapter 7. It's one of my favorite accounts in all of the Bible because it is a much needed reminder for me as to why God has called me, of all people, to be a pastor. I mean, come on, are you kidding me? (laughs) Uh, I'm the last of the last, talk about three strikes, I've got like 12 strikes and plus more. But here's the thing, and this this is why it is when I see God bless the teaching of His Word to His people. There's no way I'm like those 300 men. There's no way, even if I wanted to or tried, I could ever take the credit for it, because there's... Well, do you have an impressive resume? You ready for this? I don't have a resume. I... I, This is what I love. I love this. And there's nothing wrong with this, but I love getting this question. Where did you go to seminary? Seminary. I barely graduated high school. (gasps) That's it? Yeah, I mean, when I say I barely graduated high school, I mean I barely graduated high school. I got suspended. I was going to get expelled. I was so rebellious. I wasn't saved yet, so... I'm feeling judged right now. <laughs> I didn't get saved till after I barely graduated at age 19, but I got suspended from high school. I was a teacher's kid. I was so rebellious. And um, they actually threatened me uh, with being expelled. And oh, that would have just crushed my father. And um, by the grace of God, I, 
I graduated by the hair of my chinny chin chin. Can I use that? <laughs> I mean, that's again, not hyperbole. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. If you think that the gospel is only in our first four books of the New Testament, you'll quickly learn through this book of Isaiah that the gospels mentioned throughout. It must have been interesting for Isaiah to write the things he did in the course of his life. He was a prophet used by God who lived while several kings of Judah reigned. From their outright wicked behavior to a king like Hezekiah, Isaiah experienced the people living in rebellion and then turning toward God, realizing their need for him. God used Isaiah in a mighty way to influence these kings and to speak to them about what was yet to come. God can use you in the place you're at today as well. It may not seem as influential or powerful of a position, but God has you right where he wants you, to use you in the place you are. Are you involved in a local church? If not, we invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m. and Thursdays at 7 p.m. for Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can get directions at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, be sure to check out Pastor J.D.'s additional teachings as well as his Mideast Prophecy Updates, an accurate look at what the Bible has to say about this time in our world. That's all we have for today, but thanks for tuning in to spend this time with us. We hope you'll join Pastor J.D. for our next edition as we learn more valuable things from this interesting book of Isaiah, right here on In Spirit and Truth.